Hey everyone, this is Steph from Heinemann, and today on the podcast, we're joined by Bob Kim and Liz Kleinrock for a special conversation. Bob is a former civil rights attorney and leading expert in education, law, and policy in the United States. He has served in the Obama administration, in the U.S. Department of Education Office for Civil Rights, and has also served as a senior policy analyst at the National Education Association. He's the author of Elevating Equity and Justice, 10 U.S. Supreme Court Cases Every Teacher Should Know. Liz is an anti-bias, anti-racist educator who teaches middle school in Washington, D.C. In addition to classroom teaching, Liz also works as an anti-bias, anti-racist facilitator for schools, organizations, and companies across the country. Her work has gained national recognition through a documentary short produced by Fluid Film and media outlets such as CNN, The Washington Post, NPR, and BBC. In 2018, Liz received Teaching Tolerance's 2018 Award for Excellence in Teaching and currently serves on the Teaching Tolerance Advisory Board. Liz is the author of the forthcoming book, Start Here, Start Now, a guide to anti-bias and anti-racist work in your school community. Bob and Liz join us today in the wake of both a rise of incidents and increased coverage of anti-Asian hate crimes and racism in the past weeks, months, and year. We're grateful that both Bob and Liz offered to share their personal experience and professional expertise in this moment to bring increased awareness to the impacts of anti-Asian racism and how to take action. Here now is Bob and Liz. Hey y'all, my name is Liz Kleinrock, my pronouns are she and her, and I am here today with my friend, my colleague, Bob Kim. Um, Unfortunately, the circumstances under which we are coming to talk with y'all today are not the best. I love talking to Bob all the time. I wish it was under a different situation. Um, Over the past weeks, months, year, we have seen a rise in visibility of anti-Asian hate crimes. I want to really emphasize the visibility part because the hate crime part is not new. The racism is not new. Some things that folks who follow mainstream media outlets might have picked up on. There was a shooting about two weeks ago in three different massage parlors in Atlanta, uh, leaving six Asian women dead. Um, And even yesterday, there was extremely upsetting footage of a Filipino woman being stomped repeatedly on the curb in broad daylight in New York while people stood by and just watched. So this is the context under which we're coming to talk to you today. So I have to start just by asking, Bob, how are you doing? Oh my gosh, Liz, well, thanks. Thanks, it's great to be on here with you to talk about these things. I, I mean, I, I am, am not doing all that well, to be honest. Um, you know, living here in New York City, um, the incident you were mentioning about the Filipino woman, 65-year-old Filipino woman being literally punched and beaten in plain view of security officers. I mean, that happened in kind of our own backyard here, those of us that live, I live in New York City. Um, and that on top of like other incidents in New York, um, there've been several dozen this year, but, um, you know, a, a Asian American man being attacked and kind of rendered unconscious on the subway, you know, in plain view of other passengers. Uh, and, and so, so, so all of this stuff is sort of accumulating and yeah, it just sort of, 
to me, I mean, my personal reaction is it feels, it triggers all these feelings about, um, of, of being afraid, um, you know, triggers feelings of when I've been, I have to just put out there and say, like, I've personally, as an Asian American guy, been attacked on the street uh, physically in the past. Um, I've also been verbally um, attacked many times, you know, probably can't even count the number of times. So, so personally speaking, it triggers all of those memories. Um, and then it also just on a, on a professional level, it also is very confusing on how to react to this because the, you know, you and I, we both do this kind of work around anti-bias and civil rights and so forth. But um, so, so suddenly something like this happens and it's sort of jarring. It's sort of like you feel like you want to spring into action and you feel responsible somehow for doing that. But then you also feel like I'm suffering just what everyone else is suffering of the feeling of powerlessness and uh, fear and just wanting to kind of crawl up in a hole. So just the kind of those countervailing forces that are really, uh, it's just a lot to deal with. How are you doing, Liz? <laughs> Definitely have been better. Um, I made an emergency therapy appointment for this Friday that I'm very much looking forward to. <laughs> um, I, I'm not good. I think one of the most noticeable things that I can recognize within myself is just how my sleep has been impacted. I don't think I've gotten mm. a good night's sleep in weeks. I've actually been having a lot of like really violent nightmares, which, you know, are, I think, reflective a lot of like the stress, um, from things that are happening in our communities and it's a challenge just to show up and put on a good face for my students every day and granted i've been pretty transparent and vulnerable with them this year around like mental health and how i'm feeling i just feel like i can't show up every day and say like y'all i'm struggling again <laughs> yeah um and, it, and it's really really hard i have been in community with a number of other Asian, Asian American colleagues, people from my school, um, folks who I've worked with like you, and we're, we're all struggling. We're all feeling similar things and processing in similar different ways, but there's just this level of exhaustion and invisibility despite the amount of visibility that has now been given. And yeah. I think like taking a break has been really hard lately because I'm so scared that if this is like the only time when people are going to pay attention to anti-Asian racism, if I don't say something, if I don't seize this moment, then it's going to disappear. So I feel like yeah. it's just been really hard to turn off. Yeah, I could appreciate that. I mean, you are, you know, one of the country's you know, most active and visible people on anti-bias education and helping other educators sort of how to address these issues with students and so forth. So I can imagine like something like this happens and then it puts, puts all the more pressure on, on you and, you know, and me, but me by extension are just, you know, empathizing with you on that position that we're in. Um, you know, I, I'm wondering what you think of this quote that I, I read, you know, the, the movie, um, we all know that that movie Minari has just come out and the actor Stephen Yun said something in a in a interview that stuck with me. He said, sometimes I wonder if the Asian American experience is what it's like when you're thinking about everyone else, but nobody else is thinking about you. And, and then suddenly something like this happens. And then it's almost like the issue our community is visible for the first time, albeit for like tragic and horrible reasons. 
But then it's like, you know, we're not used to being in the spotlight and having attention on our community. There's such invisibility. But then in some ways, when it, something horrific or a series of horrific, horrific accidents happen or incidents happen, it just puts us, we're all kind of on the spot. We're like, we're visible and we need to react, but we also want to sort of self-soothe and self-heal. So it's just really confusing. Yeah, that quote definitely resonated with me. And I saw it circulating a lot on social media. And I had a lot of reactions to other people's reactions, folks who said things like, you know, this is such a a victimization, you know, that poor Asians just want people to feel bad for them. But, you know, when we have all of this, all these myths and stereotypes around like the model minority and like the perception of proximity to whiteness, that people really don't understand what our experience has been. Um, our perspective really hasn't been included. And many, you know, racial justice or anti-racist workshops that I've been a part of, you know, I, I've spoken a lot about how racial justice and anti-racism often exists along this black-white binary, and there hasn't been a lot of intentional inclusion of Asians and Asian Americans. When I say that, I mean East Asians, South Asians, Southeast Asians, Western Asians, like it's just not there. I think about the times when you know, even in my classroom, Asian students have asked, you know, like, if we're studying the civil rights movement, like, where are we? Where have we been? We don't see any books showing people like us, like, were we all just like sitting at home while all this was going on? Um, yeah. And there's, there's such a need for, you know, resources and folks education. And I'm starting to hear more and more from teachers who want resources, but also feel frozen like they don't know what to do because they're also products of american education and so they never learned about this and how do you yeah. teach kids about something you don't know anything about i think i got yeah. really off base of your question but yes the erasures <laughs> no that's all totally on on base um i'm curious how are you um sort of drawing on your own work your own teaching and anti-bias uh, pedagogy to kind of help people explain what's going on or or to contextualize or process what's going on? I'm trying not to get frustrated and I feel myself getting frustrated a lot lately. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a lot of companies who I consult for, I've led workshops for, um, I've had a number of journalists from different publications reach out for quotes and interviews and the questions are all the same, which frustrate me because I feel like I have already answered these and many other Asian Americans have too. And it just makes me feel even more like people haven't been listening when folks ask, is this new? Like, why are people finally paying attention? Like, can you give us a history of like what Asians have experienced? And like this, people have literally written books about this. Like there are podcasts, there are documentaries, there are, are so many resources out there. Perhaps you haven't been looking in you know the right places and it's hard not to feel resentful when people expect you to be able to catch them up over like centuries of history and oppression and discrimination in like a 10 minute soundbite. It's been really hard. I've been channeling a lot of it into my work and thinking about, you know, where can I start with my students, especially since I'm now very aware that they know very little about Asian American history, yeah. not wanting to center hate crimes and these really awful acts of violence, but how can I, you know, hold space for, both of these things, like what's happening in present day, but also like what is our history? Yeah, that's so powerful. I mean, yeah, and just this need to contextualize these hate crimes um, and dig deeper into why they happened and tie them into 
a long history of subjugation, uh, racism, exclusion, marginalization in, in our country. I think that's something that's so needed, don't you? Like in our classrooms and in, in, in teaching and um, in our curriculum is just having visibility for Asian Americans as historically important, as culturally important to our country. I mean, I think when, when you have visible figures, people that you can relate to, um, role models who are from the community, then it starts to, that's a long-term answer to reducing bias and hate is, is just having visibility and just understanding the commonalities between Asian American, the Asian and Pacific Islanders and, and, and other folk. Um, and it's just so sorely lacking. I, I can totally appreciate the need for us to do more work in schools around that and, and how it's not going to be a 10 minute thing <laughs> like yeah. to, your, to your point. Like when you think about your experience in school and like you have kids, do you remember learning anything about Asian American history? And like, based on the things that your kids say about what they're learning in school, do you see any change in representation or inclusion there? Nothing. I mean, nothing, nothing. I have a blank in my own education, uh, certainly K-12. And even it wasn't until later, not even, not even in college too much. Um, you know, I, I, I actually majored in Asian studies as one of my majors in college, but it was all uh, East Asian, you know, in nature. There wasn't anything about the Asian American experience and history that um, was part of that um, sequence of, of courses that I had to take. So, so it wasn't really until I started to try to, you know, as a lawyer and a civil rights litigator, had to deal with Asian American related discrimination cases that I became more interested in learning more about our history and history of exclusion and marginalization and certainly the legal history in this country with Asian Americans. When you learn about that, wow, it's like you actually you learn so much about how, you know, the exclusion of Asian Americans in the United States is, is intentional, as you know, going back to the 19th century and, you know, decades of intentional exclusion in our immigration laws, uh, starting with the Chinese Exclusion Act, which really lasted for 50 years in our country, all the way to, to intentional uh, school segregation of Asian American students being separated from white students in a similar fashion to how black and white students were segregated, as we know, um, pre-Brown versus Board. And then and all the other examples of inequality uh, from, from our legal history, I learned all that stuff in law school. So no, did I learn about how like, you know, Fred Korematsu and, and other Japanese Americans were interned just because of their Japanese American heritage um, that they were put in concentration camps during World War II. No, I never learned that. That never came up once in, in any of my um, learning in K-12. So I just powerfully think that we need to start learning about these moments because not only is it, is it important history about the development of our country, but it's also like you need to start seeing people um, and stories about real people who are Asian American that can seep into you know, our brains and then that be affects behavior and attitudes. And I just think it's so important. And, and certainly it doesn't help when you know, our political figures of our modern day are just sort of taking advantage of people's 
I, I don't even know how to say it, but just, you know, as you, as we all know, when our politicians, specifically President Trump, ex-President Trump, w- w- was sort of trying to induce uh, both having racist policies and laws, trying to enact those, but also fan the flames of, of racism and bias against Asian Americans, against Muslims, against the Latinx community, you know, um, it's no surprise that that in combination with the lack of, of awareness and, and visibility of our community in K-12 education could lead, I'm not saying that that leads to something like Georgia or the attacks on streets, but, you know, it's hard not to draw those parallels, right? Yeah, I mean, I have been saying that Trump is certainly not the, the root cause of all of this. He's certainly a symptom of sentiment that has been around for, you know, as long as Asian people have been in the United States, as we know it. I wouldn't want to give him that much credit for everything that's been happening. But also to to plug the the webinar that you did for the Smithsonian Asian Pacific American Center, Bob did this really incredible talk on like history of like the legal landscape within the Asian American Pacific Islander lens. And it is fantastic. And y'all should look that up for sure. When I was thinking back on my experience in K-12 like the two picture books I came up with that had Asian characters were like Ricky Tiki Tembo and the Korean Cinderella. And both of them are w- written by white women. You know, there are folk tales that, you know, have been adapted or appropriated for other audiences. And then even in high school, I think like, I remember a little bit about how Chinese immigrants like helped build the railroads, but it sounded like they were very happy doing so. Uh-huh. Um, and I remember reading the book, The Good Earth, and thinking that it was Asian, but it's not. Like that book was also not written by anyone Asian. And that's like the closest thing that I can think of. And it's infuriating. And I just want to make sure that my students don't have that same experience. And already this year they don't, but there's a lot to be angry about too. Yeah, absolutely. How how are you, I mean, I'm sure you're being flooded with different requests of, of people wanting to do something, you know, good, good intention people wanting to do something. Is it, is it hard to try to recommend one direction or one thing that an educator could do or that, that we all need to do? Or are you, are you just mentioning lots of things? Or are you saying like, well, this is a longer conversation. <laughs> Why don't you start by educating yourself, you know, on our history? Or, or are you giving more practical things where people might get started? I mean, a lot of the work that I do with students is all based on like an inquiry lens. So asking kids what they think they know about a topic, if it's Asian American history, if it's anti-Asian hate crimes, to figure out, you know, how they're entering the conversation, if they have misconceptions about certain people or topics, and then just asking them what they're curious about. I always think that is the Mm -hmm. easiest, most accessible way to begin a conversation with young learners. Um, I'd also ask teachers to take like the low hanging fruit. You have books in your classroom, check them out, do a little audit. Do you actually have Asian and Asian American representation? And if you do have it, is it actually representative of the diversity of the Asian continent and the Asian diaspora too? Um, I know there are a lot of teachers out there who have books around like Lunar New Year and things like that, but it's important to remember that East Asians don't represent all of Asian culture and Asian history. Um, so places like that, I think, are really easy to start. Um, I, I wrote a short story for Learning for Justice for their story corner um, called Minji's Lunch about a Korean-American girl who 
faces some problematic comments made by a classmate about what she's eating. And, you know, is it her fault that people are getting sick because she's eating something that looks different than what the other students are eating for lunch? Um, so also offer that as a tool for educators to use in their classrooms to begin dialogue. Yeah, that's amazing. I've heard you say over and over again, you know, about listening to your students and and asking them what their needs are, what their interests are, and, and having that be as a, a basis for developing um, curricula or developing um, exercises or units for the classroom. So I think that's that's amazing. It also makes me think about our Asian American Pacific Islander students, you know, and I don't know what they're experiencing right now, um, trying to process current events, um, trying, you know, absorbing the worries of not only from themselves and their classmates, but their their parents, their relatives, and so forth. I mean, it must be really tough. And um, and so many of our API students are isolated too, so they're not with you know a lot of other students who look like them. And so that must be even more difficult, I think, for them yeah. to just kind of go quiet and go, you know, not not raise a uh, an issue about or I'm suffering, you know, which is not to generalize or stereotype, but it's, you know, like, I, I know that when I grew up, I, I was not going to bring up anything that I was feeling that related to isolation or getting teased or bullied for who yeah. I was at school, even though I was. So what about you? What are the questions that folks are asking you, given your field? I think people are asking me less questions because I'm, I come from a, uh, a legal and a civil rights and a policy background, but I think, um, so it's maybe not the first place people would turn, but I would say, and you know me, you know, I, I, I think that legal and um, political and policy related matters fit really well into curricula and K-12 and what, what educators might, you know, how, how they might utilize information and, and materials from law, from um, policy to inform and to inform both, you know, adult circles around how to improve teaching and learning, but also to use as rich uh, curricular sources with students in the classroom. So, I mean, I, I think my, my advice in this situation is, is really um, think about some of the historical uh, moments in, in our history that of which there are rich materials, um, like um, the Japanese American internment, like the Chinese Exclusion Act. Um, there's equality cases in education that relate to Asian American students. Um, the Lau v. Nichols case, um, which I've written about in my book uh, on civil rights cases um, in K-12 education, that case dealt with Asian Americans who were English learners in San Francisco and were being excluded from education. And just to learn about how th that those Asian American students fought for their rights and set a precedent that applies to all English learners, no matter what background they are in our country now, that they have rights to be educated and to receive services just as um, non-English learner students uh, have those rights. You know, that's a powerful contribution to our history from the Asian American community. And, and just so learning about those things, I think would be great for students um, at, at all levels. You know, you're, you're you're really good at sort of making sure that we can teach these these types of materials to students, regardless of whether they're in high school or 
middle school or even elementary school kids. But I think that's a good place to start. And, and then certainly also in K-12 communities, just thinking about representation um, and visibility for Asian Americans, you know, whether it's teachers in the classroom who are AAPI, um, whether it's in our, in, in our local politics, our school boards, um, you can see how important it is in a time like this for API leaders to um, to exist and for us to to think about representation. I think you know those are those are things that a series of horrible incidents like this um, seem to call in mind as as responses or things that we need to start thinking about. Thank you for that. I know we're pretty much out of time, so to wrap up, would you mind sharing something that is bringing you joy these days? <laughs> take a break from all the depressing stuff. <laughs> I have to like take a step back and really think about that. Um, I think what does bring me joy, and maybe this is also the pandemic, a year plus of pandemic speaking to me, is, is it really um, makes you sort of appreciate and cling tight to things that really matter, you know, like, like your family, like friends that, that really do support you and um, just things that, that we took for granted, but in, in the past, but, you know, the, I think for me, it's the, it's just knowing that even amidst a lot of horrible, violent things happening and, a worldwide disease that is still affecting so many that that I'm lucky, you know, to have good people um, around me that I can rely on. And um, I know that not everybody has that. So I just feel fortunate and sort of um, feeling more reliant on that um, as a source of kind of joy and comfort. How about you? Very similar. I moved from LA to DC during the pandemic last July. Um, I now live like a mile from my parents instead of 3,000 miles. So being able to see them every week, like we we got to have in-person Passover together this past weekend, which was really nice. Um, oh, good. And family is like slowly getting vaccinated. I'm very grateful to have like a super supportive partner um, who lets me have like epic meltdowns and like feeds me and stuff. So I'm just very, very grateful also for the people in my life and how they're showing up right now. That's awesome. I'm glad to hear it. Well, thanks for chatting today. Next time it'll be under better circumstances, but it's always nice to talk to you. You too. Take care. Our thanks to Bob and Liz for their time today. You can find both Bob's book, Elevating Equity and Justice, and Liz's forthcoming book, Start Here, Start Now at Heinemann.com. You can learn more about their work and read a transcript of this episode at blog.heinemann.com. You can also follow both authors on Twitter. Bob is at Bob double underscore Kim. And Liz is at Teach N, that's the letter N, Transform. We also want to encourage listeners of today's show to continue your education around Asian American history and anti-Asian racism in the U.S. and research ways that you can get involved in your own community. The Heinemann Podcast is a production of Heinemann Publishing. It is produced and edited by Steph George. Sound mixing by Steph George. Our creative producer is Lauren Audette. And our executive producer is me, Brett Whitmarsh. 
To learn more about the Heinemann Podcast, visit blog.heinemann.com. Thanks for listening.